0: to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to to heart-to-heart chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, friends, welcome to Walk It Out. And one of the things I love talking about is marriage and how to do it better. John and I have been married for. 30 years, which is really unbelievable. I was 18 years old when I got married. I cannot believe that looking at my kids who are teenagers now, I'm like, oh my word. But I love talking to people who can just share truths about marriage and how to encourage us, and we'll be doing that today. So let me introduce you to our guest. Since 1992, Bob Lapine has served as a co-host of the nationally syndicated radio program Family Life Today. Heard on more than 1,100 radio stations and outlets across the U.S. Bob and his wife, Marianne, are the parents of five adult children and live in Little Rock, uh, probably 15 minutes from me, where Bob (laughs) is the teaching pastor at Redeemer Community Church. So welcome, Bob.
1: Tricia, this is the highlight of my day, getting to talk to you. Thanks oh, for having me Oh, it's
0: fun. Well, you know, we're recording on my birthday. So, oh, uh happy birthday! Thank you. Yeah. yeah, my kids are like, why are you working on your birthday? I'm like, because it's Bob Lapine, <laughs> of course. I'm
1: going to work They're on my birthday. I'm a grown-up and they don't give me days off on my birthday. Come on.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's so fun, and I just have appreciated you for so long. I mean, John and I moved to Little Rock uh, area t- mm-hmm. for to be part of Family Life for a season, and I just love all that you've been doing and just appreciate you so much. And this book is wonderful, I have to say. The book is Love Like You Mean It, The Heart of Marriage That Honors God. And I wanted to start by sharing a story with you. So uh, talking about, you know, getting married at 18, on my wedding day um, as John and I are getting ready to drive away to go on our honeymoon. I was a single mom before we got married, um, you know, not raised in a Christian home. My stepdad came to John and told him that he was divorcing my mom. And by the time we returned for the honeymoon, he wouldn't be at the house anymore. Oh, so my this word. is how my marriage started, Bob, <laughs> uh, with that.
1: You guys, uh, you, you guys have beaten the odds and defied the statistics in, terms of what you've done to make a marriage uh, work and to build a family. And congratulations to you guys, because you started with some tough odds in your favor.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think uh, I think it's so important as we start this conversation. I wanted to share that because I know you talk about mm-hmm. that too in the book that your dad was a veteran of World War II, which I I love everything about World War II and talking to veterans. And but I also know the hard, hard stuff. Yeah. Um, that those veterans, I you know even when I've interviewed veterans before, they've I've been sitting there with their wives, and their wives like I have never heard these stories. I mean, the hard, hard stuff that they've gone through. And I know that you really saw that that looking back in your growing up years, your dad probably suffered with PTSD and it wasn't like this model marriage that your parents had. So I think it's so important. Just as we start, like I shared my story, that's a little bit of your story. I'd love to hear more about that. And and just to give us hope that even if we didn't have that example, that things can change with us.
1: Yeah. uh, Both Marianne and I grew up in less than ideal marriage situations. I mean, when you're growing up in it, you kind of think, well, this is just everybody's normal. And it was not right. particularly traumatic. But um, my dad, as you mentioned, World War II uh, came back from that. We, we didn't see a lot of, of uh, acting out of PTSD, but I think he was medicating with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so he, he was drinking regularly and th- then he was later diagnosed with uh, what was then called a manic depression. Now it's bipolar disorder. And it was a, a significant case of that. And there was a point when I was in college where my mom came to me and said, I'm going to divorce your dad. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was a college student and it had, again, it had not been a a particularly happy home life. Uh, It wasn't terrible. It just, I never saw my mom and dad really loving one another well. Um, I kind of detached from what was going on with a lot of the family. And my mom figured that was maybe better for me just to kind of develop on my own. But when she said, I'm going to divorce your dad, I started to cry. And she started to cry, and she said, why does this matter to you? You're a college student. And I said, I don't know why it matters. I just know it does. And she, I don't know if it was my tears or if it was something else, but she decided not to pursue a divorce. Um, Dad eventually got involved in AA, um, got sober. I think the last five years of their marriage was probably uh, better than many of the earlier years had been. And dad died from melanoma when he was 68 years old. And I was so glad that they were together to the end of that relationship rather than dad being in an apartment somewhere Facing melanoma and mom being across town in in her apartment, living life as a single person, I I have just I've talked to enough couples who, when they find a way to persevere through the hard times and get the help they need, what they come out on the other end with is something that is imminently more soul satisfying than to try to to end a relationship. Um, And and I know that there are times relationships. Need to end because right. there's abuse or there's somebody who is a serial philanderer or desertion takes place. I mean, I've I've had to counsel regretfully people that divorce is probably the right option for them given their, their circumstances, but it shouldn't be the default option that it has become for so many couples.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you talk about those tears. And I, again, I mentioned my stepdad. I was 18, newly married, but that hurts. It hurts just as much with adult children as it does with young children, because it is that, that relationship that we look to. And I'm, I'm curious, how did you learn to love as a husband in ways that you didn't see modeled in your growing up years?
1: Well, that's been an evolutionary process for me. I, I'd say the first uh, thing was that I, I drew from uh, from other examples rather than from my parents' example. I could I mm-hmm. could look around and see people um, in church as I came to faith during college. I, I started to see marriages in church. Um, or or in the Christian community where I went, that's what I want a marriage to be like. Uh, Marianne and I have talked about, we were at a, a retreat one time and there was a husband and wife who were both speaking together at this retreat. And the husband, um, the, the wife was a much better speaker than the husband. And I I was listening to them and I was thinking, let her talk because she's really good and you're kind of mediocre. But then whenever he would speak, I would watch her watch him speaking. And she Mm. was transfixed and she was nodding and she was smiling. And I was thinking, you got to know that you're better than him. But by the same token, there was something in me going, I would love to have somebody who... Who admires me and respects me and honors me the way that this woman is doing with her husband, and so picking up on those little things that I saw in other relationships—that was part of what put me on a different path. And then reading the scriptures, and then a lot of trial and error. (laughs) I mean, let's let's (laughs) just—that's
0: what that's what marriage is, isn't
1: it? (laughs) Let's just be honest. I've I've, uh, I, I talk in the book about moving from viewing marriage as. I love being loved. I want to Mm -hmm. marry you because you love me. And I love this feeling of being loved by you and then recognizing, oh, that's not going to sustain a marriage. And so I, I transitioned to, I need to love you well and I need to sacrifice for you. And ultimately I came to realize that it's not about whether I'm happy or about whether Marianne's happy. It's about whether God's happy. And when God is happy with what's when our marriage is focused on what's pleasing to him, ultimately, that's what's going to be pleasing to both of us. So that's where my focus has had to shift and say, how can this relationship be the most pleasing it can be to God? And I think that's at the heart of what makes a marriage work well.
0: Absolutely. And this, the book, um, Love Like You Mean It, is all based on First Corinthians, yeah, Corinthians 13. And you go down through the different sections, which is excellent, but I want to jump to the end because I think this is exactly what you're talking about. Um, you You say in order to, for you to be a dispenser of the kind of love described in 1 Corinthians 13, you have to first be a receiver of God's love for you. And even as you're talking, I'm thinking about me as a young mom, we lived in a 600 square foot apartment with two kids. John was in college. Um, He was working at Domino's at night. We only had one car. I was home with these kids, so frustrated. And it was not the best situation for starting a marriage. But as I got up early in the morning before the kids and started reading God's word... As I was changed, I saw our marriage being changed. And as John spent time in the Word and his heart was turning towards God, our marriage changed. And it does go back to God in us and being a receiver of God's love and, and serving God and wanting to please God. Because if we're just trying to please our husband, it's not going to get us anywhere, our or wife or our spouse, but really is going back to understanding who we are in God, loving Him, serving Him. And that really is where transformation in marriage marriage and in life happens.
1: Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I I found that if I am trying to love Marianne out of whatever love I have in me, that, mm-hmm. that's just my own self-generated love, um, that supply runs out pretty quickly. I become impatient or unkind or self-seeking, all of the things that real love is not, I can shift to those things uh, pretty easily. But when my own heart and life is filled up with uh, who God is and, and what he's done for me and his love for me, and when my heart swells with that, it is so much easier for that to be what flows out of me In in my relationship with Marianne and with others. So to love her well, I have to be uh, regularly daily drinking in Mm -hmm. my understanding of who God is and his love for me so that I can then be a dispenser of that kind of love to her.
0: Yeah, you talk about um, we need to come to him every day over and over again to be filled up with his love so that our cistern never runs out and we're able to love others with the love we received. And I just love that idea of a cistern. Um, and when I'm feeling dry and I haven't I've you know, I've had to run out the door and I haven't had time to have quiet time for a couple of days, everyone in the house, especially my husband, can feel it. But it is it is when we let God's love pour into us. And sometimes when I can feel myself being snappy, you know, snapping at my kids or my husband is like, let me just go in my room, read my Bible for a while, put on some worship music and mm. let God's love fills me because it's God's love that will never fail.
1: Like <laughs> our love will fail. And that's such a great observation and a great strategy that you're employing there, because I think what so many people do, we start to feel empty and dry and we go to one another and we say, you need to fix the emptiness in me mm-hmm. You need to pour into me so that I can then rise up and and respond to you. Well, we can't do that for one another. We've got to go to an external source. We can't just be relying on one another to be our supply and our source. So whether it's a husband who's saying uh, to his wife, I I can't be good unless you are filling me up with the love I need, or a wife saying that to her husband, we're going to the wrong place. So for you to go in in your room and get some time alone with the Lord and time in his word and time worshiping him, that's where the, the supply comes from. And it's a supernatural supply.
0: Yeah, I think when we all go into marriage, so at least most of us, we, we are thinking of what can I get out of it? And I have uh, five teenage daughters at home right now. So you can pray for me. About this. I have 17-year-old twins, 15-year-old, uh, they're almost 13-year-old, 10-year-old. I mean, we have all these girls in the house and I hear stuff like, if my husband doesn't cry when I walk down the aisle or my husband better be cooking me dinner. And I'm like, oh, honey. like you know, And I try to tell them like, you that's not what marriage is about I mean, you know they're teenagers and they're you know they right. watch all the little right. stuff and um but i think all of us do go into marriage with that feeling of what can i get out of it and that's i think why so many people struggle because after a couple of years when you're not getting out of it what you thought then it's like okay who else out there can give me what i think i need and,
1: and this is where the cultural uh, messages about what love is start to condition us to think wrongly. and And when you when you build a relationship or try to build a relationship with a wrong view of love, you're gonna find that that relationship is built on sand and not on stone. And And so I, I start the book by talking about how pop songs and Hallmark Channel, are, can't be uh, catechizing. You can't be the you, where right. you learn what love is like, because the romantic feelings and the, uh, uh, the the moments when we cry with each other, all of that that's a that's a healthy and important part of a relationship. But it's not the the bedrock foundation for real love. Real love comes down to commitment to one another and a willingness to sacrifice yourself for the good of another person. And that's what I think Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is is picturing for us when he starts talking about these qualities of love. He's saying, you've got to be committed to being the right kind of person, not an expectation that the other person is going to stir some kind of emotional fluttering inside of you.
0: Absolutely. One of the books that I wrote with um, my dear friend, Robin Jones Gunn, is praying for your future husband, um, preparing your heart for his. And, you know, we turn it around because we're thinking, oh, the the girls are picking up this book thinking, oh, I'm going to pray for the, you know, six foot tall guitar player, blah, blah, blah. But within every section, it is like, you know, pray for him as he seeks God's heart. But it's like, who are you? What are you doing to prepare for this person. And, you know, here in Little Rock, we have a teen mom support group that we meet during the school year and I always get up there. And first of all, I mean, so many of their Families don't have marriage at all, so that just even telling them like let's think about marriage is a big thing. But then I get up there like, what type of guy do you want? And they'll say not in jail. I'm like, okay, we need to we need to have higher <laughs> standards than saying not in jail. Um, and they say you know, they'll say not on drugs. I'm like, okay, we're moving in the right direction. And then we'll say, you know, what about his character? Loves his mama. I'm like, okay, that's a good one. Uh-huh. You know, so we start moving and writing these things, and pretty soon they're like, is kind and and gentle. And so we make a list on the whiteboard. We do. I do this every year with them. Um, And so I'm like, okay, would you want this type of guy? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Would you consider marriage? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then I go, okay, now who do you need to be? to get that kind of God. And they're like, Miss Trisha, that's not fair. <laughs> you know, That's the first thing they're spouting out. Like they don't want it turned around on them. But I think that's exactly like we're wanting all these things, but who do we need to be? And really that comes only because of God in us and transforming us. And then I bring that around to, you know, talking about how God can transform us. And I love how you talk about the wedding, your wedding invitation framed and hanging in your bedroom yeah. um, based on first John 419 that says, we love because he first loved us. And it goes back to who we are because of God and because of his love for us and understanding his sacrifice for us that allows us to sacrifice in marriage.
1: Well, our motivation for loving another person will either be um, to satisfy us or to please God. I mean, those are the options. So I'm either loving you for what I'm going to get out of it, or I'm loving you because it's going to be pleasing to God for me to do that. And if I'm loving you with a self focused motivation, then I'm not really loving you. I'm loving me. I'm, I'm. I'm at the center of that equation. But when I can shift to that center of gravity and say, the reason I'm loving you is because it's pleasing to God for me to do this. God is delighted when I do this in my heart. I, I, I want to please God. I long to please God. So when we, when we make that fundamental shift, I think it can transform our understanding of what love is all about.
0: Absolutely. And you, you also talk about the 50-50 mindset. Um, and, you know, people I'm giving 50%. Well, no, that doesn't work. And God, <laughs> thankfully, did not give 50%
1: to us. Yeah, perfect. That's right.
0: Oh, so good. Okay, so what hope, this is where I want to go next, what hope do we have to share for the next generation as we're talking about, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, and you go through, and I love just all the chapters are talking about the different elements that are in that. But like I mentioned before, we have teen moms in the support group here in Little Rock, Arkansas, which uh, they will say, and I've asked before, like how many of you have seen a loving marriage? How, and like no one, I think out of 25 girls, one Girl has risen, raised their hand, um, and so I think in our culture today, it is so hard to even talk about. Okay, let's do this in marriage. Um, so just what encouragement do you have for me and for others who might be, okay, we, we have a good marriage. John and I thankfully have a good marriage, but I'm trying to reach out and serve and share this for the next generation. So what encouragement can you give me as I'm trying to do that to a generation who's like marriage, what are you even
1: talking about? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about the shows I've seen on TV where, uh, people are doing obstacle courses, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the gladiator guys who are doing the obstacle courses and, and so many of them fall in the water or uh, fall off the side of the mountain or whatever it is that they're trying to scale the obstacle course. And you can watch that over and over again and think, well, you've got to be Superman to be able to make it through the obstacle course. And I would say with we we can start to look at marriage and say, you must have to be a certain kind of Superman in order for a marriage to to hold together. And I'd say, no, you don't have to be Superman. First of all, you have to know what what the right framework is, what the right recipe for for a healthy marriage is. And and you've got to stick you got to read the right directions rather than taking your cues from the culture. And Mm -hmm. then secondly, You need the empowerment of someone outside of you who has completed the obstacle course perfectly and knows how to get you through it. So it's being a transformed person, living your life in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then doing it according to God's word. Uh, If if you're looking around and saying, I don't think marriage can work because my friends haven't been able to make it work. That's like looking at, at people who have failed at cooking particular dishes. And you look at their recipe cards and you go, well, no wonder you failed. You had the wrong recipe card (laughs) for what you were trying to make. And so if we've got the the right set of instructions and then the empowerment of God's spirit working together, uh, this can happen. And I, I think couples today, young people today need to be able to see that there are models who have made this happen. And it's not because there's something special about us, but there is something special about the one who empowers us and about the word that he's given to us.
0: Oh my goodness, that is so good! And I'm already pictured in my mind when we're able to meet again with our teen moms. I'm going to set up an obstacle course that's going to be really impossible for them to get through until someone shows them how to do it. And then I'm going to say, "Okay, wait, this is God's word." Oh, this is going to be so perfect for our group. So thank (laughs) you so much for that because I think that is such a good thing. Is we need to look okay because they obviously don't have people in their lives that they can look to. But there are people that we can bring in that can talk about marriage and the importance and all this stuff. So anyway, thank you so much for that. That's going to be great.
1: Well, I'll tell you, we we did this with our kids when they were young, and and it wasn't original with me. It was somebody we'd interviewed on Family Life Today. But um, we took the kids. We're in a two-story house. So we were down at the, the bottom of the stairs, and I said, okay, I will give... $50 fifty dollars to the first person who can get from the bottom of the stairs to the top of the stairs without touching the stairs or the rails. Ooh. Okay. So you got five minutes to figure out how to do it. Fifty dollars if you can get to the top without touching the, the stairs or the rails. And you know they're they're down there trying to, to figure this out. Five five minutes pass. My fifty bucks are safe. A couple of my kids tried, my son's tried, but There was no way to do it. And then I said, I'm going to show you how to do it. And I picked up one of my kids and I carried him up the stairs. Mm. And I said, now you got to the top without touching the rails or the stairs. How did you do it? It's because you carried me, dad. Well, it's the same with marriage. If we want to get from where we are to the kind of marriage we want to be, we don't have it in ourselves to do that, but there is somebody who can carry us through that and can get us where we're trying to go. And and that's, that's really what is at the heart of this whole book.
0: Oh, now I want to do that with my kids.
1: <laughs> That'll be fun. I'm going to have to talk to John about this. Well, you've got to be mean, able to pick them up. So just make sure. We I we,
0: we still have a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old that will, oh, you know, he, he you can go. definitely pick those up.
1: So we can get them to the
0: top of the stairs. Oh, I love that illustration. that's another thing I thought of. I mean, how many conversations have you had about family and marriage? And I love that here it is in a book, you've summed it up and it's all on God's word, all on, you know, first Corinthians 13. And I'm thinking you could probably write a book on a hundred different subjects, but now here you are like, okay, this is it. This is what I want to talk about. And I love that, um, that it goes back to God's word. And I think that really shows a lot because it's true. I mean, you have had so many conversations through the years.
1: Yeah. And, and I've learned so much. I mean, what a, what a great position to be in. I think our marriage has to be stronger today. Our family has to be better because of all of the, uh, the people I've had the privilege of talking to over 28 years of hosting family life today. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not tips and techniques that make a marriage mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. Those can be helpful. And I've learned a lot from tips and techniques that I've, I've employed. But, but the core of it has got to be, do we understand God's word? Are we applying God's word? Is that what we're building our marriage on? And so that's why when I sat down to write this book, uh, what was what was in my heart was this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, that I'd read many times. And it, the interesting thing about the passage, Tricia, is that it's a, it's written as a rebuke to a church that was valuing giftedness more than love. Mm. So you You got more esteem in this church if you were highly gifted than if you were a loving person, and Paul is saying that's exactly backwards. And these qualities of love that he lays out—it's a little like a scolding, where he's saying to them, "You guys, love is patient, love yeah. is kind." I mean, we need to read it with that tone of voice. It's not—it's not love poetry. The heart
0: music, yeah, it's not yeah. The heart music playing yeah. in the
1: background. You know, we think it's love is patient, love is kind. No, it's. Love is love does not insist on its own way. He's he's rebuking them for what has been their wrong pattern. And I think we need to read it ourselves and go, you know, our default pattern is to be impatient or unkind or to seek our own way or to be rude or irritable. And we need to let God's word correct what is wrong in each of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The one thing I wanted to hone in on one of these things, and you just brought it up, love is patient (laughs) because right now the whole world is in upheaval. Yeah, Um, We, are experiencing things that we never thought we'd have to experience where have losses, have challenges, even though John and I both work from home, our kids homeschool. There's a lot of change, a lot of questions, um, even though we don't have the TV on like 99% of the time, our kids still hear stuff from other people. And there's a lot of anxiety, which doesn't go well with patients as we're all in this home together. And I think so many times during this time, we see people and they're pulling together. Or pushing apart, Um, and I think this patience is needed more than ever. So let's talk about this a little, and that's you know where it starts in First Corinthians um, thirteen four is love is patient.
1: So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's the first. Character quality. If you put people in a room and said, give me one word that describes love, I think if you had 100 people, you probably wouldn't have any of the 100 who would say, the first thing that comes to mind for me is patience. Right. And yet that's where the Bible starts in its description of love. And the old King James word for patience is long suffering.
0: (laughs) We don't like that word. Patience sounds better than long suffering,
1: (laughs) but that's what it is. It is the ability to persevere, the ability to endure the ability to, in the face of opposition, in the face of challenge to hang tough and to hang in and not to become, uh, not to become unkind, not to become, uh, irritable or resentful or bitter, but, but to, uh, to persevere and to hang in and to still have the fruit of the spirit showing up in your life. And, and we just have to acknowledge that that's harder to do when life is disrupted, mm-hmm. whether it's a personal disruption that something's happening in your life or in your family or what we're experiencing now, this kind of corporate disruption that comes with where our culture and where our society is, when everybody's life is topsy-turvy, when things are not predictable, when we don't know what we can count on or rely on, then then it's harder for us to live with patience because things are unpredictable. And this is where we have to understand that patience is a fruit of the spirit. And absolutely it's a quality of love but it's a fruit of the spirit and it, if you're trying to draw again on your own r- reservoir of patience that's going to evaporate quickly so we have to we have to soak in our relationship with god patience comes from knowing that even in the midst of the topsy-turvy circumstances that we're in, God is still in control. He can be counted on. We can experience joy. We can still have hope, even with all that's going on. And that's what quiets our soul and causes us to be able to endure even when things are hard, because we know who's in control. We know that things, he will never leave us or forsake us, and that he is going to take us home, even though we're in the midst of light and momentary afflictions, that we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I love how you brought brought up that it's the fruit of the spirit. And it made me think of... um, a couple years ago, we had the grumble free challenge where our whole family was trying to go a year without grumbling, which, you know, we have, we had 11 people in the house. So <laughs> the first couple of months, I'm like, why did I say we would do this and write a book proposal about it? And now we have to do it. And, you know, we would, we were reading all about the Israelites and the grumbling and we were memorizing scripture. And one of my daughters, I think she was about 13 at the time. She was, mom, I understand. Like we're reading all this stuff, but how, do I do it? How do I not grumble? How do I be thankful? And I realized like we were trying in our own effort. I'm trying to mold my kids and mold myself, even though we were sharing scripture. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's the fruit of the spirit. It is God in us that is going to make us be patient and not grumble and be kind. And so every morning after that, we started praying for God's spirit in us to to grow in us and that he will control us and that his love will pour through us and that we will be patient because of him. And that really transformed everything. So even if I thought I was doing the right thing, like memorizing scripture and doing all this stuff with our kids, um, It really had to go back to depending on God in us to change. And our grumbling did decrease a lot over the year. We're not perfect at all, but it did decrease a lot. But again, in marriage and our kids, any relationship, it does go back to seeking God and depending on him in us, that fruit of him in our lives, because we cannot do
1: this in our own strength at all well and I, I I think you're so right. I think the idea of of memorizing scripture and having these passages in your heart that you can easily uh, call to mind that's vital but we we can know the right thing to do it it is God's spirit who can give us the power to do the right things to do so God's spirit needs. God's word in us because that's the sword of the spirit. That's what Mm -hmm. Ephesians 6 says. So for the, the Holy Spirit to be armed and to be fighting for us, he needs God's word there. But God's word is is not effective unless God's Spirit is the one who is grabbing that sword, and we're re- we're relying and depending on Him to empower us to do that work. So we have to be surrendered and yielded to God's Spirit uh, day in and day out. That is so good. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> You're talking about that that visual picture of
0: that. That is so good. Okay, so I know I get so many letters and emails, and you know, um, from people out there that maybe there's someone today that feels like they are so ready to give up and they weren't even meaning to listen to this podcast right now but they started listening to you and they're they're tuned in what encouragement do you have for them today like maybe today they just want to make it to the end of the day and learn to love a little bit more
1: Well, I I think the encouragement and and I've seen this over the years working at Family Life, people are ready to give up when they've lost hope Mm -hmm. and when they feel like I've tried everything I know to do and nothing is changing. And that's why you lose hope, because because you've run out of things, you know, to do. And I would say just because you've run out of things, you know, to do doesn't mean there aren't things that can help you. You you need to get counseling. You need to get books you can read. You need to be listening to things like this. You need to be setting your mind. You need to be learning new things about relationships and how to strengthen those relationships. And, uh, you can get help that and and that help will provide you with a fresh sense of hope. So that's where I'd point people is to to get the help they need, whether it's pastoral counseling or whether it's um, uh, a book like this, going to a weekend to remember getaway, yes. listening to Family Life Today, whatever it takes to to continue to seek hope. And I, I'd I'd tell people this: there was a, a project that was done in Oklahoma. Um, this was, this was maybe a decade ago. They went to couples who had filed for divorce and who had not gone through with their divorce. So these were the couples who had filed for whatever reason but had never gone through it, and it was now at least five years after the fact. They went to those couples and said, you filed at one point, you didn't go through with it. Where is your marriage today on a five-point scale? And 83% of the couples gave their marriage a four or a five Wow. Five years after they'd filed for divorce. If we can press through the hard times and the obstacles. And if we can get help and not be so proud, see, most people don't reach out for help until so much damage has been done that now they look and go, it would take too much work to to redo it. When you start to see the cracks and the fissures, get the help you need. Do preventive marriage on your maintenance. And if you're looking and going, boy, my marriage has just been we're battered and it would take a lot of work to put it back together. I would say, do the work, mm-hmm. help and press through it. You will be so much happier five years from now when you're in a marriage that's a four or a five on a five point scale. And and you can look back and say, I'm so glad we stuck it out. Than you would be if you end your marriage and you're looking back, uh, wishing that you could have made things work. And always having some sense of regret that you didn't, you didn't pull it out.
0: And I've talked to friends that did divorce, some even married a second time. And they said, wow, I wish I would have worked harder on that first marriage. And the second marriage often is hard, you know even harder, which I love all that Ron Deal is doing also there, but there are so many amazing resources at Family Life. Um, so we will have all the links in the show notes and John and I have been to a weekend to remember. Um, and you know, even if you feel like you have a good marriage, there's so much you can get out of it. Um, so lots of good resources there. And of course, um, Family Life Radio Show. I mean, just keep, keep trying. Don't give up. And I appreciate that you you said that, Bob. Well, well thank you. I, I, oh, I, go I, ahead.
1: Let me tell you one quick story here, Tricia, because my mom, we talked about the fact that she intended to divorce, divorce my dad and yeah. she couldn't do it. After my dad died, mom moved into a, reti- a retirement community. And one day she made the observation to me. She said, you know, I can tell the people in this retirement community. I can tell the people who are our divorcees and the people who are widows. Mm-hmm. And I said, how can you tell? And she said, I can I can see it on their face, on their countenance. I can see it in in just their own. The, the peace in their soul is what she was talking about. And I thought to myself, I'm so glad that you're in this retirement community now and there's peace in your soul because you pressed through the hard time and had good years with my dad before he died. So oh. that's, that's just my exhortation. There are people who can help you get the help you need and keep working on this.
0: I love that. And I, yeah, I read that in the book and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, love that story. <laughs> Well, Bob, thank you so much for being here. Um, Again, the book is Love Like You Mean It, The Heart of a Marriage That Honors God. Such great, great stuff in there, wonderful stories. And again, lots of resources at Family Life. And we will put all the links in the show notes. But thank you so much for being here.
1: And happy birthday to you. Well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> great to be with you, Tricia. Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you.
0: After hearing... Bob so many times on Family Life today. It was wonderful just to get a sneak peek into his heart. And I love that the lessons that he teaches us as he talks over the radio, as he shares truth is really founded in his own life. Um, He's not just saying these things because it's good ideas, but really from his marriage, the marriages he's seen, the foundation of love and truth and hope and God's word is so centered in him and I just love that so much and I love just how he's able to share the truth from the Bible and how it applies to our everyday lives in very real ways. So um, the walking out verse of today is First John 4 19. We love because he first loved us and I think really it comes down to that, that the love we can give to other people only can come because God loved us first and he shows us how to love. And I know many times I have felt um, just my emotions flat and just praying, God, love through me, show me how to love and God will. And I think so many times When we are discouraged, um, when we feel like we're not getting anywhere, when our marriage or any other relationship isn't what we had planned or hoped or dreamed for, we just want to give up and we just want to throw in the towel. And I just love how Bob just brings that reminder don't give up too easily. Um, Keep pushing through, go back to God, ask Him to bring out His love through you. And I think that makes all the difference. Let me just take a moment and pray. For you today, dear God. Uh, first of all, thank you for Bob. Thank you for just his ministry all these years. His faithfulness to families, to marriages, to couples, to encourage them and inspire them. Thank you that um, everything he shares is rooted in you and rooted in your Word, Lord. And I just pray that you will bless him and bless his ministry, Lord. And I pray for everyone out there. Maybe there are those who are struggling in marriage, um, and I know just any marriage, every marriage, there are struggles. So I just pray that you will remind us to turn to you, to look into our own hearts, to go deeper with you, because truly only then can we grow into the type of people that can be in these relationships. It is so revealing, Lord. Uh, I know marriage is the one thing that just reveals all our flaws and, and all the other person's flaws, too, and just help us to be faithful today i pray for those who have no hope i pray for those who feel like giving up i pray for those maybe there's someone listening that that wants to be married and um i just pray for that desire and your will and your plan lord i pray for each of us that you will help us to love like if we really mean it and love from you deep in our hearts in your name we pray Amen. Well, thank you friends so much. I am so thankful that I get a chance in the middle of my very busy days to talk to amazing men and women, to be inspired and to be encouraged. Now, you know, people always ask me, how do you do all you do? And really, I'm an ordinary mom. Uh, Even at this moment, I can hear one of my children Pounding in another. <laughs> like, this is real life here. Um, but it does, it refreshes me and encourages me when I can take time to chat with friends, to record a podcast, to, you know, talk about real stuff, hard stuff, good stuff in the midst of an everyday life. And as this homeschool year is starting, I know so many people are trying to figure this out, trying to balance the kids at home, maybe work at home, and they think I can't even think about following my own dreams, my own desires, trying something different because I'm barely treading water and barely managing. Well, if you find yourself suddenly homeschooling, virtually schooling, need encouragement in these areas, I would love to help you. I've gotten so many emails and Facebook messages, Instagram messages from people wanting to know the secrets and how do I do these things and how do I homeschool and how do I homeschool so many kids at one time? So I created a course called the Homeschool Success Course and you can just go to homeschoolsuccess.com course.com. And I have 13 videos, I have a workbook, a homeschool planner. And if you find yourself suddenly homeschooling, maybe you never thought there's the plan you don't know about transcripts and how to school more than one kid and how to actually work from home or have any peace in the situation, I hope you will go there, that you will look and that you will be encouraged. I'm so thankful for the years where I figured out what really works compared to many, many times I did things that didn't work. And I love that I'm able to give encouragement. So if you're interested or you know someone, just send them to homeschoolsuccesscourse.com. And may you have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.